Well, greetings and blessings to everyone this morning. It's been a good morning. We had some very good lessons already. Very richly blessed. I don't know if you figured out already in life that being a Christian, a real Christian, is not for the faint-hearted. Have you figured that out? It's not for the faint-hearted. In fact, Jesus said to John, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, he said, blessed are they that are not offended in me. And we take from that that the Christian journey can be difficult sometimes. Not only do we know that from Scripture, I'm sure we all know that from experience, that to be a real Christian, to be a real follower of Jesus is hard. Sometimes very difficult, sometimes confusing, but not impossible at all. You know, it's not easy to daily take up the cross and die to self. That's not easy. It's not easy to love our enemies like Christ did. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's not easy when Jesus puts his finger on something in our lives and says that one thing. We can be doing many things right, but when Jesus puts his finger in an area of our life and says, right there, that thing, that's the problem. You know what I'm talking about, brothers? You know what I'm talking about. So the Christian life is not for the faint-hearted. But for those that are trusting and believing and willing to believe Jesus that he went the way before us and that willing to believe that nothing can separate me from the love of God, at least from the outside. But there is a possibility that we, through our weariness, can leave God. And I, too, refer the burden and Thoughts of this message back to Wednesday night's Bible study. Maybe I should give a little bit of a backdrop for those of you that weren't here. Brother Larry opened up the Bible study on Wednesday night with a story or a uh, the story of the big boy. If you know what the big boy is, the big boy is the largest steam locomotive that was ever made. How many of them were made? You remember? 25 of them were made. Not many are in 
in, in operation anymore, very few, but one has been restored recently and is running and working. Not, it, not totally in its original form. They have diesel, I, I understand, diesel burners to create the heat and make the steam instead of coal. However, looking at it from the outside, it looks very authentic. It runs, it makes steam, and it can go places. And so the Bible study was, is going to be, was on Wednesday night and will be for a number of weeks on the book of Acts. And the illustration with the steam locomotive simply was uh, referring back to a message of Brother Mostos, who's preached some years ago on the big boy, and that you can go to see them, a number of them sitting around in museums. They look authentic. They are very authentic. You know, they are the real thing, but they're dead. There's no power there. They're not going anywhere. And it's just a dead, cold piece of machinery that at one point in time moved a hundred cars down the track full of coal. But there it sits, a thing of the past, something to gawk about, look at, and marvel at its vastness. Well, this big boy came through Iowa here just last week and uh, pulling just a few cars of display booths and information about it and probably personnel and other things that it used to do. I don't know how many remember I asked the question, so what was it pulling? That was a very important question to me. I thought maybe they're restoring this thing to full use and they're pulling a hundred cars of coal again with it. But no, they're just pulling a dozen cars of, of uh, displays and uh, information about this thing. And it's just a traveling museum basically is what it is. So I was a bit disappointed that, at that, but I still understand why they wouldn't. It's probably not efficient at all. But uh, so I think that went deeper into my heart. After yesterday, I realized how deep that really went into my heart, that illustration of the big boy and the powerful, uh, and, and the powerful piece of machinery that it is in light of the book of Acts and the powerful church that God's church was in the book of Acts. And so I was pondering that this week, and it was on my mind and heart. And yesterday I was just up here. I put most of the day aside just to seek the Lord. First of all, just for my personal spiritual well-being, I felt it's been a long time since I've done that. And so I just set most of the day aside to just seek God and, and wait before the Lord. And I'm just amazed this morning, I think, amazed and trembling at what I believe God is putting together for us in light of what David brought this morning and in light of what I ended up coming up with. I believe it was the Lord. I, I just, in trying to, to uh Find reality with the Lord in my own life. I started off by just going to the book of Revelation and looked at all seven churches there and just what God told them. And amazingly, I, I came back to the book of to the church of Ephesus, church number one there in Revelation, where 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 Jesus gives those 
sobering words to the church at, at Ephesus that uh, where he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. And so I was meditating on that yesterday, first of all, for my own life. And if some of you might remember back to the meetings that we had when Brother Leonard was here, I responded. And the thing that God was talking to me about was my love for Jesus. My love for Jesus. I remember coming down from my bedroom in the morning and it's time to pray and there was no drawing there. And there was actually just a bit of delusion and what do I do and how do I get into it? And I remember that hit me, that this is not how it ought to be. This is not how it ought to be. That was before the meetings. And so when Leonard was preaching, I think it was on the night on, on when these happened, then it's, time, then it's time for revival. And so he touched on something that brought that back to my mind, and I decided I'm going to respond because I felt... Something was amiss in my love for Jesus. And so I was pondering that yesterday and just reading, reading the, the different accounts in Scripture and looking, uh, reading some other unrelated or other sources on this topic of what does it mean to leave our first love and how does it work and, and just pondering that and... and uh, thinking of how it was in the book of Acts and thinking of how it was much more recently than in the book of Acts. Back in, in when I was 18 years old, when I was converted and how my first love was for the Lord and reflecting back and remembering how prayer came so naturally and how an overflow for the love of Jesus, it was there. It was just there. It was full and overflowing and, and, uh, and, uh, it was just a vital reality, a vibrant relationship. And, and I, think, I think that's how it needs to be, brothers and sisters. That's how it should stay. That's, that's how it should be. Our, our love and zeal for Jesus must be maintained. It must be cultivated. It must be nurtured. It must be... It must be practiced. It must be lived. It must be pursued, dearly beloved. It must, it must not slip away from us. Little did I know what I was going to preach on at this point yet yesterday morning, and so I was just browsing around on Sermon Index so it's a website where there's a lot of revival-type messages that you can go and listen. And, and I had listened to a few, but it just didn't seem right. And so I saw Brother Denny's titles there. So I just scrolled down through there and, and just, just picked one, the church at Ephesus. 
didn't even put anything together yet. And, and, and so he, he commenced to preach on the church of Ephesus and, and the vibrant and powerful church that it was. And he went through the book of Ephesus and the apostle Paul and how he planted that church and how he fussed over that church and how he poured his life into that church and how they became a flourishing church and a powerful church. And, and out of that church in, 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 in Ephesus, I believe, if I, if I understood it right, most of the other churches of Asia sprung out of the church of Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the, if not the first church to be planted in that area. And they were a very powerful church. And we're talking about power, and we're talking about that locomotive, and we're talking about, you know, having the real thing. We're talking about having the power in our Christian life to do the will of God, to, to really, we're talking about more than a name, we're talking about more than a creed, we're talking about more than having all our standards right, we're talking about having a living, vital life-changing, life-empowering experience and walk with Jesus Christ. That's, that was the emphasis of Denny's message through the book of, uh, of Ephesians as he preached a powerful message. It was one that I don't think I had heard before. <clears throat> I believe it must have been about uh, it was after we were in Iowa, there were some were having revival meetings, so it must have been somewhere maybe around the 25, 22, 20 to 25 years ago when he preached this message. And coming back to David's opening this morning in our Bible study on Wednesday night and my burden for power, and I, I shared a little bit on it on Wednesday night. You know, I'm not against miracles. Miracles are great. I think it's okay if that's not what we're focusing on, if that's not what we're pursuing. I think miracles should be a part of our experience. But, brothers and sisters, my burden this morning for the power is to have the power for the own, for our own personal Christian walk in this world. We need power. We need power. Power to overcome our own sinful propensities in our own life. We need power to overcome the tendencies that tend to, to draw us away from the altogether lovely one, from the lily of the valley, from the bright and morning star. Brothers and sisters, what is it going to be that keeps that Christ central of our lives? What is it going to take? I say it takes power. It takes the power of God. And to me, there is nothing more beautiful than for a sinner to be changed by the power of God. I think there is nothing more powerful even in our community, say for a sinner, a known sinner in a community, to get touched and changed by the power of God. I believe, brothers and sisters, that is more powerful, more authentic, more God-glorifying than some healing. I believe it is. 
There's many false healing. There's many pretender healings out there. And people are a little bit leery about that. But take an old sinner who was used to cursing and drinking and swearing and couldn't get over his old sinful habits of anger or whatever, unforgiveness, and touch that man with the power of God and he forgives and he is liberated from his evil tongue. That will make the community look. What happened? What happened? That's what I want. That's what I'm longing for. That's what I'm burdened about this morning. Brothers and sisters, that's what we need. That's what we need. This beautiful, beautiful church of Ephesus that had such a beautiful, beautiful beginning. Maybe it would help if we just kind of take an overall picture. Some of you techie People, you like, you like time-lapse pictures. And basically what you're doing, you're taking a long, a, a long event, weeks even, and you're crunching that down to a quick picture and you can see it from beginning to the end in a short amount of time. And maybe I could do that briefly. I found something. This isn't original with me. But I found something, just a, a, a time-lapse picture, if you will, of the church at Ephesus. It was A.D. 52. The year 52, it was on Paul's second mission tour, missionary journey, that he visits Ephesus. And he plants the church there. You'll read about it in Acts 18, verse 19. A.D. 52. And we're going to call that the church sprouting. Three years later, Two to three years later, on Paul's third missionary journey, snapshot number two, he spent three years there teaching and exhorting them and, and admonishing them. <clears throat> and you will read about it there in Acts 20 when he refers back to this time and he says, you, you, you remember how that I was among you, teaching you daily, night and day with tears. He's referring to this time frame right here. Acts 19, you'll read this. And so he came back around and he visits his church that he had planned it some years earlier. And he's there and we call this the church weeding. Now there have men come in there and he needs to weed some out. Wrong doctrine. And he, he, he warns them about these things and he weeds out the wrong and he, and he feeds the good. And we call it the church weeding. That was in AD 54 to 56, according to the account that I found. Snapshot number three, Paul stopped by a nearby island, Miletus, and calls the the Ephesian elders over to attend the meeting that he called together of lots of different elders there. And we call this the church 
nurturing. It was a time where you read about it in Acts 20, where he warned them, there'll be men rising up from among you to draw disciples after them. There'll be those coming in from the outside to, to destroy you. And he warns them with tears and they fall on each other's necks and they kiss each other. This is a farewell. They won't see him again. He says to them at this point, you will not see my face again. And there is a nurturing and a, and a love that is there between Paul and the church of Ephesus. That is in AD 57. Five years after it started. Picture number four. Paul is now in Rome and he sends the letter of Timothy to the church at Ephesus. Timothy is at Ephesus along with Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos were people that Paul sent there to, to build up the church, to instruct the church, to teach them the things that he would have taught them if he could have been there. We call this point the church watering. They were there to water and oversee and feed and meet the things that were wanting in the church at Ephesus. Ten years later, A.D. 62. This was in A.D. 62, ten years after it had started. Snapshot number five. We see the church prospering and it's reproducing itself. We call this the church reproducing age. It's, it's in A.D. 66, and, and, and out of, Coloss- out of, uh, uh, out of uh, Ephesians, the church of Colossia is, is started, and many of the other Asian churches were started out of this church at this time. The church was probably at its height here, starting other churches. It is believed that the Apostle John... The old beloved Apostle John, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, resided at the church at Ephesus at this point in time. He was there. He was old. He was so old, he was still preaching. History gives us that they would carry old Apostle John to the church at Ephesus, and he would get up and he would instruct them, and he would teach them about love, loving one another, loving God. You know, John, the apostle of love in his old age. Well, it was in this setting, in this snapshot here, that, is, that it is believed that John was captured or taken, but not hard to capture at that in that stage in life, but he was taken to the Isle of Patmos and there banished and left for dead, that he received a message from the Alpha and Omega, from the God of heaven. He receives a message out there on on that Isle of Patmos in this snapshot picture number six. And there the God of heaven gives his old beloved apostle some commendations about the churches of Asia on things they had held to and, and suffered for and stood for. And he commended them along with a sober warning. Different warnings for different churches, but to the church at Ephesus, it was a warning that they had left their first love. That is believed to have been in A.D. 96. Forty years later, 35 to 40 years later, picture number seven, 
We have no way of knowing whether they corrected their problem. We have no, the scripture doesn't say how, what they did with the counsel that John or that the letter that came to their church eventually from, from God through John to their pastor. And one morning like this, their pastor gets up and he reads a letter from God, from the apostle John that he received. And to the Ephesus, the Ephesians, it was church. We've left our first love, Jesus says. And we don't know what they did with that. We don't know if they corrected their problem for a while and later were poisoned by some false doctrine again. False teachers came along. But the end result that we do know, sadly, the church died sometimes during the second century. And it evidently passed into apostasy as it is known in the later centuries as a leading city for the councils of the early Roman church, referring, I believe, to the Roman Catholic Church. The picture is now of a dead plant, brown and died up, dried up. The church dead, A.D. 200. Well, praise God this morning, time-lapse photography. Photography is interesting. What if the church where you attend and I attend had been historically photographed, time-lapse? At what stage would we be now? The ending does not need to be a sad one. Amen? The Lord's vineyard need never die. He will come one day and transplant his faithful vineyards over in the land where the tree of life and the rose of Sharon continually bloom. Dearly beloved, may this, may this really settle down in our hearts. I basically have one point this morning. I don't know how long it'll take to convey that point, but the, the appeal, the burden, dearly beloved, is to the very tip of our hearts, to the very depth and, 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 and the solitary place of our heart. And my appeal for my own heart and my appeal for your heart is, how is your love for Jesus? Jesus already spoke to us this morning in the first message. Is it lukewarm? Is it cold? And now we have another word of the Lord. Have we left it? Have we walked away from it? Has it been snuffed out? Have we allowed it to grow, to, to get out of our hands? Sometimes preachers, they preach that we have lost our first love, but that is not what the scripture says. It says we have left it. Brother Denny made a big point of this. He said these theologians come to him and they ask him, Brother, do you believe that you can lose your, your, your love for the Lord? And he says, No, I don't believe that. And he said, Really? I thought you believed that, that you can lose, I think they were thinking, your salvation. But he said, No, I don't believe you can lose it like all of a sudden if you're walking with God and, and you're serious about God and all of a sudden you lose it. That's not how it works. You leave it. Slowly but surely, other things come in and crop in, and they snuff out and choke out our vibrant, vital touch with God. And I believe that. 
I believe that's how it happens. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. It is probably not by accident that the church at Ephesus is church number one on the list. We will begin reading actually in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. Dear old John, dear old Apostle John, this is not John the Baptist, this is a beloved Apostle John that wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This is the John who is our brother in verse 9, who is our brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, don't tell me this morning that it doesn't take power to be patient on God. Amen? It takes power. We pray. We believe. We pray according to the will of God. We believe. We have scripture for what we're praying for. And it doesn't come. And it doesn't come. And things turn out differently. That takes power to not become offended. Brother, uh, oh, brother John here says he is a companion in the patience of Jesus Christ. He was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 10 of chapter 1, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. It was saying, I am Alpha and Omega. It was God speaking to John. It was Jesus Christ speaking to John. And he heard behind me a great voice saying, Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book. Send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Unto Ephesus, the first one on the list. Unto Smyrna, Pergus, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turn, John, he was just listening all this time to the voice behind him. And now he turns to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle, his hair his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is a sound of many waters, and in his right hand seven and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two edged sword, and his countenance was as a sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Write. Write the things which thou hast seen. And the things which are. And the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars. Which thou sawest in my right hand. 
and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels or the pastors of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Unto the pastor of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven churches, seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. I know these things. I see them. I see what you're doing. I see what you're standing for. Verse 3, and has borne, labored long, toiled long, and has patience for my name's sake. And for my name's sake hast thou labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Then he gives them another commendation here, and he says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, brothers and sisters, I know this is a very sobering passage and our hearts might be fluttering a little bit because who'd, who here wouldn't feel like they couldn't love more, right? And shouldn't love the Lord more. Woe be to any of us if we don't feel that. This, this account can be preached to an individual, and it is many times. In a revivalistic type of, of, of message, it can be preached in an evangelistic message for cold hearts or wandering hearts, hearts that have left the Lord, and we draw them back. But I think, as in this setting here, this was given to a church. And so the setting here is, is to a church. And he's speaking to the church. So it's somewhat all-inclusive. The church had lost its fervor. The church had lost its seal. The church had lost its centrality of Christ. Other things cropped in there. For, for them here, they had a lot going for themselves. You know, they were focusing on many good things and they were hanging on. They were hanging on for dear life. They were resisting those who were not apostles. They would check out their doctrine, and if they weren't right, out they would go. They were working. They were at it. 
They detected and smelled uh, wrong teachings. It's believed that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was a part was a was a branch of the Gnostics, which had very perverted belief system, and uh, possibly uh, Nicholas was one of the seven deacons that was chosen in the book of Acts. Possibly he lost his way and became a leader of the Nicolaitans. Not sure about that, but there is a man there that's called Nicholas or Nikolai or something like that, if you look it up. But there are some more churches that had this same doctrine in them. The church at Pergamos had it, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Very bad doctrine. But here, this church was on top of it. This church was on top of it. We're trying to be on top of it. It's been kind of hard. I think I can speak for the body of Christ. And if you're here, a visitor today, I guess you just kind of dropped in in the family meeting. But I think Zion Christian Fellowship is, is kind of tired and weary and discouraged. Because sometimes I am. Lord, you know, how can we find our way? How can we stay on the narrow path? How can we stay on the middle of the road? If we begin to focus on lifestyle and issues that we're facing, you know, that, my, that can get you down. And then you look on the other ditch and it's those that focus on Jesus only and everything goes and everyone does that which is right in his own eyes and we scratch our head and that don't look right either. Lord, what do we do? You know what I'm saying? Am I the only one that feels like that? Aren't you a little tired of lifestyle discussions? I've heard that. Brothers and sisters. Yesterday in Denny's message, believe me, there's some young people here, I believe, that do not remember and see, that have not seen the power of God transforming lives so drastically like we had 20 years ago. And that makes me very sad. I'm very sad about that. I believe there's many that can't recall clearly where they saw that. Someone changed. And brothers and sisters, we saw it numerous times. Sinners, cursers, swearers, drinkers, they were transformed by the power of God. It was beautiful. And so it just went like this. Brother Danny preached other men preached. We had revival. People were being changed. Families were being transformed. Families were coming out of the mainstream churches, putting things on that should have been on, veilings and things, taking things off that should have come off, jewelry and things. They were doing it by the power of God. Amen, Brother Ron? You remember seeing that, don't you? And as I listened to Brother Danny yesterday, I'm getting very honest with this here now. This is in the heights of it. This is in the midst of it. This is at the peak of it. He is preaching. He is under the anointing of God. And I can tell that God is there. And I'm sitting here in 2019. And you know the struggles that we're going through. And I'm saying, Lord, are we on the right road? 
will that, will that do what we need? Is that what we need? Do we need another Brother Denny to motivate us, to get right with God, to bring the power of God in this place back there? And I, I was confused and sad for a while yesterday. I was very heavy. I didn't know what to do. God, surely that must be the answer. It seems so right. You love Jesus with all your heart. Everything else falls in place. Well, that's what we believed for many years. And all of a sudden, things, you know, end up the way they did. But anyway, the Lord opened my eyes here. In Revelation 2, as I was in that state of confusion and crying out to God, God, what does it take? We don't want to go in either ditch. We don't want dead formalism, dead traditionalism. We don't want worldliness where anything goes. We don't want that. God, we want true revival. And the Lord simply opened my eyes and simply showed me. It's not that these other things weren't important. They were doing many good things, many right things. Jesus commended them for rooting out the false doctrine, rooting out the false prophet. If you'd go through the other churches, there were many other specific things that he told them. He said, you are, you are allowing the spirit of Jezebel in your midst. You're allowing this, this immodesty that is upon the churches. You're allowing that. And you shouldn't. And the Lord simply showed me it's not that we don't need to do these things. It's not that we don't need lifestyle discussions. It's not that we don't need to get our heads together and agree the path we want to walk. It's just that we also got to keep Jesus, number one. That needs to be number one. Jesus didn't tell them. These other things don't matter. He didn't tell them that you don't have to be so worried about that and put so much energy in that and labor so much about that and be so concerned about music and be so concerned about dress. Jesus didn't say that. He said, you have left your first love. Little did I know later on last night what I'm going to preach when I was still browsing some more messages. And I clicked one on uh, David Wilberson and it was on uh, offended at Christ. And he said that when, when we get offended at Christ, that is one of the means of losing our first love. When our prayers aren't answered, when we get weary when we stop praying about a, a, a stray friend or child that is that we're not seeing our prayers answered, we, we, we get our eyes off of the promise, we get our eyes off the word of God who spoke, who said, pray without ceasing, pray believing, and we get our eyes on the, on the object, on the, on the issue, on the individual, and it's not changing, and it's going downhill, and it's getting worse, and it, it affects our love for Jesus. And we, 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 we leave that vital connection with the Lord. I hope I make sense. Am I? Brothers.
I, first of all, took it very personally yesterday, and I just came up here and said, Lord, I don't really know how to do this other than he gives us three very clear directions. What to do. Number one is in verse 5. Well, they're all in verse 5, but look at verse 5 of Revelation 2. Number one is remember. Brothers and sisters, remember. Remember when you first met the Lord. Remember the, 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 the joy. My sins are forgiven. My burden is rolled off my back. Amen, Brother Lee, 11 o'clock. My sins are gone. Hallelujah. It's, it's, it's different now. Praise God. Remember, remember the joy. Remember when it was, when it was time for church. Remember coming together with the people of God and focusing on Jesus and walking together and speaking into each other's lives. It wasn't a problem when brothers came to us and, and addressed issues. Why? Because we were in love with Jesus. Jesus was in the right place in our lives and then we could hear and we could receive. But that thing gets out of Kelder. All of a sudden, walls. The problem is we're not in love with Jesus. Remember how it was. Your, your, your desire for the word of God. I remember that this book was, was dry and dead and archaic. And I couldn't understand it. And I couldn't connect with it. But after that. It was food for my soul. It was water for the thirsty. I remember that. And it's not like that anymore. At least it wasn't. This, brothers and sisters, is no little thing. This is the God of heaven coming down to his church and in love and mercy pointing out a need. This is no little thing to scoff at. This is no little thing to forget. In fact, Jesus said, after he said this warning, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Your heart, my heart, your heart, all of our hearts make up the temperature of this church. It does. You are not neutral wherever you are at. Either you're one that comes in these doors and you're like a thermostat, you bring the temperature up. You're, you maybe got a hold of the grace of God and you come in with a smile on your face and faith in your heart. And when you pray, there's something there that lifts the others up. Or you come in, we are broken down, you are defeated, you're discouraged, and you don't pray. And others wonder, why isn't brother so-and-so praying? Why doesn't he have a prayer? We are Christians. Prayers are lifeline. Where is the prayer? It's an indication of a heart that has left the love of Jesus. And God is saying, here... Remember how it used to be. And the next thing is repent. That's not very hard. So I said, Lord, I know. I know it's not like it used to be. And I simply acknowledge that's not very hard. Lord, help me to restore that fervency, that reality, that closeness, that nearness, that dearness, 
that, that heart. Lord, help me take away the things that have, that have squashed it out. What is it in your life, my dearly beloved, that is squashing out the life of Jesus? Is it work? Is it hobbies? Is it, is it church problems? What is it? We have to get back to being in love with Jesus. We have to. Unless God will come and remove our candlestick and we will become a church that goes on through the motion without any reality. So, repent and then return. By this time, I think I was figuring out that God wants me to talk about this today and... I went home and just kind of shared briefly with my wife a little bit what God is working on in my heart. And here's the confession. I don't know quite where to return to. I don't know how. In fact, I told Rachel, I'm a little scared for what God might ask me to do and who God might ask me to be. I'm a little scared. But I want to. Return. It's remember, repent, and return. He just says, come back to where you lost out. Come back to where you allowed other things to get in the way. That's where you got to start. Repent. uh, Return. He says, remember, repent, and do the first works. Return. Do the first works. Get serious about God. We're 20 years down the road, maybe in your Christian life, 15, 10, whatever it might be. You know, God does pour out measures of grace at conversion. I believe he does. It's different for different people. But dearly beloved, if your conversion has not produced any reality of of Jesus Christ, and seeing him and and loving him, then you need a new conversion. They're not all the same. They're not all as dramatic. But something needs to have changed. Amen. I believe that. Something needs to have changed. Some light needs to come on to some extent or another that you can say, yes, I believe. And it's different now. and, And I will follow Jesus. And you had joy and the burden of sin was rolled away and you walk with Jesus for who knows how long. So I don't know what God is asking you to return to. I'm not sure what God is asking me to return to, but I know where I'm going to start. I need to start to cultivate and make Jesus number one. Loving him. A loving, drawing relationship with Jesus. That's where I need to start. And I'm trusting God. He will show me where else to go. We are 26 years old now, I believe, as a church. What would the time-lapse picture look like for us? Keeping Jesus in his rightful place. I didn't have time to write all these scriptures out so I could read them to you, but I think it's needful that we walk through them. 
and just allow the scriptures to speak to us. So let's start. I have a handful here, not quite two handfuls, but let's go to Psalms 27. Where are we at, dearly beloved, with Jesus? We've already heard this verse. God wants us to hear it twice today. Verse 4, one thing, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Yes, we need to work. Yes, we need to make money. Yes, there's times that maybe we pursue other things for a bit, but oh, dearly beloved, we must come back to Jesus, that if everything else was taken away, I still have Jesus. One thing have I desire of the Lord. That will I seek after. That Jesus Christ may be made beautiful before my eyes. That I might behold the beauty of the Lord. We will never, we will never explore all of Jesus. You look at him this way in this time in your life and you see this beauty. Oh, let me tell you, my marriage has been good. Our marriage has been good. And we talked about the first love this morning. And I know what that's like as a married man. The first love to to see my wife on that wedding day and even right after the vows were exchanged, I looked at her and something was different. There There was a bonding already. Now, I should know how many years later, but many years later, I'll just leave it at that. Many years later, It's a little different. I think I can honestly say it's a little more than sparks and stars. It's a flame. Amen. It's it's burning deep in the in the log. It's way down there. And so it gets more beautiful. A little different. Maybe not quite as, you know, stars and sparks, but Deeper, meaningful, satisfying, at rest, peace. You know what I mean? It's different. And that's how it should be with the Lord. It may be sparks and stars when it starts. But oh, to get to know Jesus when the going gets tough, when we're suffering, it's deeper. You know what I mean? It's deeper. Psalm 73. Look at another one with me. From the word of the Lord, this is the mind of God this morning, dearly beloved. Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Psalms 73, verse 25. 
Whom have I in heaven but thee? Brothers and sisters, this probably needs some cultivating, but I get concerned if the first thing that comes to our mind when we think about heaven is the streets of gold or the mansions. Dearly beloved, it should be to see the one who saved you and washed your sins away by his blood. That should be the one that we long to see first of all in heaven. And according to David's testimony, that's what it was. Whom have I in heaven but thee? He didn't even seem to think about the mansions. He thought about Jesus, about God. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Go with there, there with me, please. Jesus needs to be everything. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Jesus warned in the parable of the sower that the cares of this world can snuff out the love of God. In our hearts. Be aware. How is it, dearly beloved? John 17. John 17. Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer. John 17. Oh, look at this one. Dearly beloved, look at this one. John 17, verse 3. People wonder, you know, about assurance and eternal life. What is it? How does it work? This is life eternal. Verse 3, this is life eternal that they, Jesus is praying to his father. And he said, this is life eternal that they, meaning you and me, might know thee, know God. This is life eternal to know God, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega. This is life eternal. This is eternal life to know God. I have somewhat against thee. You have left your first love. First Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13. Look at this one. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profits me nothing. What's the big scientific word, Larry, for a man that gives lots of money? I, yeah, 
philanthropists, people that give millions of dollars, build hospitals, just give it away. Philanthropists, if I'm saying it right. If I have no love for Jesus and I'm doing it for him, it profits me nothing. You have the applause of men is what you got. That's pretty empty. Galatians verse 5. Galatians chapter 5. This is coming down to the real thing, brothers and sisters. It's not religion. It's not creed. It is Christ. Galatians 5 verse 6. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. If our, brothers and sisters, if, we, if our Christian life is dry and humdrum and we're, we're maintaining the faith, I fear it's vain and empty. Our faith should work by love for the Lord Jesus. That should be the motivating factor of doing what we do. Amen? Love for Jesus. It's why I forbear with my brothers and sisters. We are called to forbear. I forbear with them. I bear along with them because I have faith in Jesus. I love Jesus. And therefore, that's how that works out. It, it's not whether you are circumcised or whether you're not circumcised. It's not whether you are a Jew or, or the preacher's son or daughter or so-and-so. It is whether your faith works by love this morning. That's the question Jesus is asking us. Two more. Colossians 2. We're about done. Colossians chapter 2. This is the church that I understand Ephesus started. Verse 10. And ye are complete in him. Ye are complete in him. Verse 9, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Ye are complete in him. Verse 13, ye are quickened. You hath he quickened together with him, made alive. Sister, how alive are you in Jesus this morning? It is a life or death matter. 1 John 5. Verse 11 and 12. He that hath, sorry, verse 11. 1 John 5, 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. And you show me a plant that hath life. There's evidence. There's green. It's springing up. Eventually there's fruit. There's something there. Brothers and sisters, what is the evidence of your Christian life? 
soul-searching message from God down at the tip of your heart. You're not answering necessarily to me. You're answering to God. You're answering, you're answering for the church before God. What is the condition of your heart? Do you have life? Do other people know it? Do they know that you're a Christian? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough of evidence to convict you that you're a Christian? Now listen. This came to me. I've alluded to it before. And it has to do with what the church is facing here right now. It is possible to have a lot of things right and not have Jesus. Right? You agree with that? Let's look at the Pharisees. They had a lot of things going for them. Jesus even said, you know, it's not that you should not do some of the things they're doing, but do the things that they're omitting. that They're not doing. So it is possible to have many right things and not have the vital reality of Jesus. And that was a condition of the church at Ephesus. It is not possible to have Jesus and not have things right. Do you agree with that, brother? Many say it is. It is not possible to have Jesus living, breathing, Holy Spirit in the midst of the church and have sin in the church, and have rock music in the church, and have immodesty in the church, and have lightheartedness and foolishness in the church, in the name of Jesus, it's not possible. I don't believe it. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my command." We're living in a time of great apostasy. It should not surprise us, dearly beloved, that this is happening all around us because we're living in the last days. And they're calling evil good and good evil. And they're in the church. And they're, everything is Christian. You can even have Christian uh, uh, social drinking nowadays. God is not the author of confusion. God's word says women should not lead in the church. They should be covered. How many churches can you think of where they're doing both? Women are leading. They are out front. They're leading. Their hair aren't covered. They're doing everything in the name of Jesus. And everyone is getting a high. I don't believe it. I stand with John. I stand with this word of God this morning. And that's what I'm striving for, dearly beloved. Now, we're a long way off from some of those. But we need to turn back. We need to turn a little. We need to turn a little. We need to take care of some things. Jesus said... 
If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him, and we will make our abode with him. Jesus said in John fifteen ten, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. You know, I just God seems far away. I have a hard time connecting with him. Well, the question to ask ourselves, are we keeping the commandments of Jesus? Are we loving our brothers and sisters? Or have we allowed a drift, a separation, a wall? You will not experience the love of Jesus with that. You won't. But we are mighty good at pasting it on and going on for a long time when the inner side is really sick. I know I'm saying some very, very pointed things this morning, dearly beloved. I speak these things, or these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and your joy might be full. One of the most contagious things about a church is if the people have the joy of the Lord. Amen. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Oh, no. Remember what, what Leonard Gunther said? I'm, I'm an eight foot two by four, and you're not going to cut me down. Remember that? Remember that, brothers? I'm an eight foot two by four and I'm going to stay. Listen. Greater love is no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Cut me down. Make me the bottom plate, if you will. Shoot me full of nails. Hide me up with drywall. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I commanded you. Now talk about being a faint-hearted Christian. It's not going to work. We need the power. We need the locomotive power of the big boy. The Holy Ghost himself to live these things out. Turn in your songbooks to 705. Search me, O God. And we're just going to sing this, and I don't plan to give an altar call, but I do want you to respond in your hearts to the Lord and, and do business with God. If you want to talk to someone, you can. What number did I say? I lost it. Remember? 705. Why don't we all stand before the Lord to sing this song? Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. 
I praise Thee, Lord, for cleansing me from sin. Fulfill Thy word and make me pure within. Fill me with fire where once I burned with shame. Grant my desire to magnify thy name. Lord, take my life. Sing it prayerfully. Make it holy thine. Fill my poor heart with thy great love divine. Take all my will, my passion, self, and pride. I now surrender, Lord, in me abide. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters, I'm sorry where I failed you in the past for my wanderings away from the Lord Jesus. I'm sure there's some that were hurt because of that. I want that to change. I do love you all. I do. I'm thankful. I want to be a good pastor and tell you the truth. I want to love you. I want to be a good example. And I have, I have floundered a bit. Pray for me. Being a, a real Christian is not for the faint-hearted. So thank you. Thank you for giving an ear this morning. Hopefully you could hear it. I hope I could say it in such a way that it didn't shut your heart. I realize we're talking about deep things, personal things. I realize that. I want to understand. I want to. I want to find. I want to find the fullness. I want to be in the middle of the road. I don't want dead traditionalism. I don't want worldliness. I don't want drift, drifting away from Jesus. So I hope you understand my heart. I hope you can hear my heart. God bless you. <clears throat>